So uh, before we do anything else, let me just review the ground that we've covered over the last several weeks. We've been studying together on a theme, and that theme is the love of God, the love of God in Christ Jesus demonstrated to us and poured out for us at the cross in specific. So the theme, the title of this message series is This Is Love. And each week over the last uh, four or five weeks now, we've been looking at a different aspect of God's love and how it is granted to us and the effect that it has in us and on us. So obviously it all starts with Jesus' journey to the cross, with the sacrifice of his life in our place. But then from there, we've talked about how um, God loves people so much that he forgives our sins. God loves people so much that he conquers death. For us and offers us eternal life. God loves people so much that he refreshes those who are weary. God loves people so much that he heals the sick and the broken. And that brings us uh, finally to our topic for this morning. God loves people so much that he transforms lives. I want to talk with you about a love that transforms lives. And let me share with you a little illustration here just to get you thinking about this particular theme of transformation. This is from an article I came across earlier this week written by a man named Joshua Rogers. And here's the account that he shares of his own personal growth in Christ. He says, A few years ago, I was on the verge of my dream job one that I'd been working towards for years. Other than a few logistics to settle before I officially signed on the dotted line, it was finally mine, almost. In a last-minute surprise, a shift in funding at the company eliminated the position. I was devastated. I felt disappointed with God. All of the signs had pointed to this job being his will. It felt like he had done a bait and switch on me. I knew I was supposed to say and believe that God was good and that I just needed to accept the fact that he had a different plan. But I didn't want that plan, if I was really honest. There were too many good reasons for him to do it the way that I wanted, but I had to let go of it. And from my perspective, it was for no good reason. Around that time, I ran across the quote, this quote from Eugene Peterson's book, Run with the Horses, in which he tells a story of seeing an adult swallow teaching its chicks to fly. He writes, One adult swallow got alongside the chicks and started shoving them out toward the end of the branch, pushing, pushing, pushing. The end one fell off, but somewhere between the branch and the water four feet below, its wings started working, and the fledgling was off on its own. Then the second one. The third one was not to be bullied. At the last possible moment, his grip on the branch loosened just enough so that he swung downward, then tightened again, bulldog tenacious, holding on to the branch. The parent was without sentiment. He pecked at the desperately clinging talons 
until it was more painful for the poor chick to hang on than to risk the insecurities of flying. The grip was released, and the inexperienced wings began pumping. The mature swallow knew what the chick did not, that it would fly. There there was no danger in making it do what it was perfectly designed to do. And then Joshua Rogers, reflecting on that, says, that story hit me hard as I realized that I was that third little bird, the one whose talons were locked on to the comfortable branch of having my dream job. God wasn't going to have it, though. God was going to peck, peck, peck at my talons and do whatever it took to set me free from my desperate attempt to hold on to something that was supposed to make my life complete, but it was something other than him. Several years later, I looked back at that frustrating time and I noticed something. Letting go of that branch taught me how to fly in ways that I never would have known otherwise. Now, I don't say that it made me good at flying. The storms of life still fling this little bird around. Life still feels unfair and hard sometimes. I seek the comfort of new branches, and the Lord sometimes allows me to rest on them for a while. But before long, he's nudging me again. Year by year, with each plunge of faith, my little wings are getting stronger. I'm learning to trust the one who made those wings and to believe that in the end, he'll use them to get me just where he wants me to be. Now, I share that story with you this morning because I love how it speaks to our need for growth and transformation. It's a a beautiful and powerful word picture of learning to trust the guidance and influence of one who's greater and wiser than we are. One who knows what we need even when we don't know. Friends, if we want to learn to fly in the Spirit, then we have to welcome God to peck our talons off the branches that we cling to and give us a false sense of comfort and security. We have to welcome the spiritual transformation that comes from the testing of God's will. That's what this message is about. It's about the word transformation, the concept, the process of transformation in the Spirit. So as we begin to think about this subject together, let me remind you of a memorable quote I've shared on many occasions. Perhaps you're tired of it by now, but I think I even shared it just a few short weeks ago. But I'm going to say it again because it bears repeating and because it's really true and really good. It goes like this. In fact, maybe if you know it well, you can help me by filling in the blank. I'll leave it for you at the end of the sentence. God loves us just the way we are, but he also loves us too much to let us stay that way, to leave us that way. Exactly. Thank you. God loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us the way we are. He loves us just the way we are, but he's always wanting us to change for the better. 
That's the love of God in action. So let me begin with some insight into this concept of spiritual transformation, change. How does it work in our lives? How does God bring it about? Why is it important to pursue it, to desire it, to welcome it, even when it's difficult? Well, let's begin here with a look at this word that both of these two passages have in common, both Romans 12 and 2 Corinthians 3. What I want you to see with me is that spiritual transformation, the word that's used in both of these passages, is the process, Elliot, if you'd go ahead and put the first slide up for me, spiritual transformation is the process of allowing God to change us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And it's an expression of his love for us that he would help us do that. This is another example of how the love of God works in and through our lives. Because he loves us so much, he doesn't want to leave us the way we are. He wants to continually change us for the better. Now, notice a couple things about this sentence. Spiritual transformation is a process. It's not just a one-time experience. It's not a moment. You can change in a moment. In fact, we all do, particularly the moment that we decide to give our lives to Christ in the first place. But this is an ongoing process that lasts your entire life. Let's be honest, this is is hard work. And it sometimes happens slowly and other times more quickly. So transformation is a process of allowing God to change us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Again, perhaps you've noticed already that the two scriptures I've chosen for today, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, share this one particular word in common. And it's not a word that's used often in the New Testament. I think there's perhaps one other reference. But these two are really well-known passages, favorites of many, including me. I'm sure that I've spoken on each of these passages independently on other occasions. And yet it struck me this week as I was thinking and planning for this morning, praying about what to share with you, that I'd I'd never connected the two with one another through this word transformation. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he says again in another letter, written at another time. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, so I want you to focus first and foremost. We're going to look at some other words in those sentences and what they teach us, but focus with me first and foremost on the word transformation, the word that these two passages share in common. And here's a question for you to ponder this morning as you listen and as we dig into the significance of these two biblical references. It's not hard for us to observe and to recognize the reality that every day we grow older, right? And as we grow older, particularly when we're young, but even at other times in life, our bodies are 
growing. So this is a physical reality that's observable. You can see it. Now, sometimes it's not noticeable how much we grow or how we grow from day to day, but we're always growing, aren't we? Think about a a person, a friend perhaps, or an acquaintance that you haven't seen for a while, and particularly if they're a young person. I mean, if you're with somebody every day, like like I think of my own kids, right, I, I can barely perceive the changes in them from day to day, even though those changes are taking place without a doubt. But over the course of time, over the course of of days or weeks or months or even years, the changes become more obvious, don't they? And so you look at somebody that you haven't seen for a while, and it's obvious that they've grown, that they've changed. Now, take that idea, take that principle, and apply it spiritually. Do we also grow more mature in Christ with every passing day. I submit to you that we do, though sometimes it's hard to see and difficult to realize. So this process of of transformation, this ongoing process that we're all in, sometimes it's hard to see, sometimes it's hard to notice the growth that's taking place in us on a daily basis. But hopefully, when we look back over time, we can see how it's been taking place all along. And there's a change in our maturity. Sometimes, I think we even resist growth, or try to, because growth and transformation always requires change, which isn't always comfortable or easy. So if you're afraid of change or resistant to it, your ongoing personal transformation as a a Christ follower is going to be challenging sometimes. You're going to resist it. It will be full of stops and starts, right? So if we were to graph it out, you know, I don't think our our personal spiritual growth is just a, a complete incline like this. I think it's often, you know, plateaus and then we grow and then we plateau and then we grow and then we plateau and it's full of stops and starts. And yet over time... Hopefully, we are growing in maturity as followers of Christ. We are being transformed more and more into his likeness. For example, I remember seasons in my own life when my growth, my own personal growth, has been accelerated by a particular experience. Maybe you can think of examples in your own life as well. I remember one time in particular, one that I've spoken about often in this context, when I first came in to the vineyard back in the late 1980s and early 90s. I was a young person, recently graduated from college. I was in seminary pursuing a calling to pastoral ministry in a different denomination. And I began to learn for the first time about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I began to learn for the first time about the spiritual gifts, about the power of the Spirit, about spiritual warfare, things that I knew very little about and haven't really, hadn't really ever been taught in. And for me, that, there, I went through a paradigm shift that opened up a whole new season of accelerated growth in my life during that season. And I look back on that as, as one of the times in my own life when I've grown most significantly. 
Interestingly, I can point to other times and seasons as well when I've grown. And as I've reflected on this over the course of the week, it strikes me that oftentimes it's, it's intensive experiences when I've given myself to seeking God in a, in a powerful and focused way that I grow most rapidly. So maybe it's attending a conference or um, attending a camp or participating in a mission trip. Things like this tend to accelerate our growth in the spirit, our transformation. And so I encourage you to think about those kind of opportunities and to look for them, to step into them. I would believe, you know, with all my heart that that Anna is about to enter an incredible season of, of personal transformation, right? When she lands in Ecuador and begins her ministry there, she is going to be, I mean, I'm, and I, I, I trust I'm speaking prophetically, you're going to be in for a season of growth and transformation, perhaps beyond what you've ever experienced before. And that's a beautiful thing, right? You're, you're going there not just to work on behalf of others, but you're making yourself available for God to work in you as well. And I commend that. I commend it to all of you. So what I'm saying is that we shouldn't necessarily expect the same measure of transformation to be happening all the time. There is some, but it's hard to notice. And yet there are other times when our growth seems to be expedited, accelerated, because we've given ourselves to an experience that helps us go to another level. Of maturity. I want you to recognize from the story of the little birds clinging to their branch that that personal transformation often, if not always, involves confronting our own fear of change. You have to embrace change if you want to grow. Embracing the risk of doing something new and different that you've never done before often accelerates your growth in the spirit. So if you want to accelerate your spiritual growth, you have to keep stepping out of your comfort zone into a new place of trusting Jesus. That's how growth works best. Why is this? Well, it's it's because, if I can just explain for a moment, it's because transformation is not just about learning something new. It's about becoming someone new. Right? What we're talking about when we talk about transformation is not just intellectual knowledge or understanding that you didn't have before. There's an aspect of that, of course. But what we're talking about is an increase in Christ-likeness or Christian maturity. That's the end goal here. That's the end result that we're aiming for. Our transformation in the Spirit isn't just about learning more information. There's a huge difference between information and transformation, right? Transformation always involves new information, but transformation is about your character. It's about the depth of your obedience to Christ. It's about being filled in the Spirit. It's about, it's about doing new things so that you can become a different person, more like Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look closely, this is what I love about the reference in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul explicitly tells us what the goal is. He's not just encouraging us to be transformed in general for the fun of it. No, he says specifically, 
And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. That's the key. We're being transformed into the image of Christ, the likeness of Christ, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So transformation is into the image or likeness of Christ. It's not about some humanist ideal of self-actualization. It's about becoming more like Jesus. He's the model and the standard of what human perfection and spiritual maturity look like. And so as you listen this morning, as you think about this concept, let me just ask you a question. You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to answer in your own mind. What is it about you right now that God most wants to change? Pick one thing. Maybe you've got a whole list in mind. Maybe you're feeling painfully aware of your shortcomings right now as you think about how to answer that question. Just pick one for right now. Just one thing. What is it that God wants to change in your life to make it more Christ-like? I believe the heart of God and the love of God are with you for that purpose. And that God desires to help you transform your life more and more into the likeness of Christ. So whatever thing it is that you've put your finger on, whatever thing it is that you're thinking about right now, be encouraged, be inspired, have hope. God is with you. God is for you. God wants to help you to change for the better. Now, one more thing before we move on to another insight, another Point of revelation here, I want you to recognize something else that's evident in both of these two references about the nature of transformation. We're talking about the nature of transformation. What is it? How does it work? Notice that in our text from Romans 12:2, Paul doesn't say, transform yourself. He says, be transformed. And likewise, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, we are being transformed. What's interesting to me as I reflect on those words is that the verb tense, which Paul uses, and you don't have to know or understand everything about the Greek language here. I'll just explain to you the bare essence of what, what's significant regarding the language that Paul's using here. Now, I will tell you this because I think it's fascinating. He's using a Greek word that you might find familiar. It's the word metamorphuste, which sounds, of course, a lot like metamorphosis, a familiar English concept to many of us. Metamorphosis is transformational change. But what I want you to see about the verbs that Paul uses here is that we are the ones being acted upon by someone else. In other words, the verb tense that Paul uses is not active, meaning 
we are the ones doing these things to ourselves. The verb tense is passive, which in the Greek language means we are being acted upon by someone else, by another power or person. So in this case, what Paul's hinting at with the the use of these verbs and the, the tenses that he's chosen specifically is that God is the one who does the transforming, right? We're in partnership with him. We're in submission to him. We have to yield to his work in our lives, but we don't change ourselves. God is the one changing us. That should be an encouragement to you. When you find yourself incapable of changing whatever it is about you that you want to change, recognize you have help available. Recognize that there's a greater power that's available to help you make that change. Because he loves us, God is committed to working with us, in us, and on us to continually shape our lives into the likeness of Christ Jesus. Now, of course, I'm not saying that we have no part to play. To be passively acted upon in this regard is not to, is not to you know, I'm not suggesting that somehow we don't have anything to do with our own change. We do have something to do with it, of course. But let's be clear about what that is. What we have to do is submit ourselves to God. What we have to do is yield ourselves to his influence, to his power, to his, to his guidance. So this is an important and powerful reminder that our transformation is a work of partnership between the people of God and God himself, right? We give ourselves to him and we allow him to be the one who changes us for the better. Obedience to the will of God always involves our choice. Always. The exercise of our will. But the place of our will is to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You have to say, yes, Lord, and then act upon that. You have to act in faith, effectively releasing the presence and power of God to help you change. From the depths of his love for us, God always wants us to change the dynamics of our lives for the better. But we have to agree with and submit ourselves to that process. He won't do it if we resist or when we resist. We have to allow him to be in control. We have to trust that his love for us will actually work all things together for good in our lives, as Romans 8.28 suggests. So that brings me then to a second revelation about the nature of transformation here. Let me just go a little bit deeper with you. Our time is winding down, but, but there's something else really important that I want you to see here about the nature of transformation. And here it is. Our transformation involves the work of three essential change agents. Three essential change agents. Do you know what a change agent is? Maybe you're familiar with that terminology. I I think it's commonly used in at least two other disciplines. The first one that comes to mind for me as I think about this concept is uh, my old high school chemistry class. I remember... Um, 
hearing the concept of a change agent in that context because it was introduced to us right when we learned about chemical reactions. A change agent is something that creates a chemical reaction, thereby forming a new chemical substance. A change agent brings transformation to whatever it interacts with chemically. But chemical change is just one insightful example about what the nature of a change agent is. Another way that we might think of this uh, term being employed is in the literature and language of, of business management. In fact, I'm sure that Kent could probably give us a lesson or two about this. In the context of business management, change agents are commonly referred to as those people in an organization that help an organization change its culture and increase its productivity. And every organization has these people, a few, that are highly effective at facilitating change in the context of that organization so that the organization can increase its effectiveness. Some people function like that, and it's a beautiful thing to see. But what I want you to do is apply the concept of a change agent to your own spiritual growth. What are the change agents that you need to interact with and that God has provided for you that best facilitate your own transformation? Do you know what they are? This may not be an exhaustive list. I'm not suggesting that it is. But I want to I highlight for you with the time we have left three of the most significant change agents that God gives us. And what's interesting is that Anna mentioned all three of them specifically, having influenced her life. So here's the first one. It's the Word of God. Go ahead to that next slide, Elliot. Romans 12, verse 2. Notice closely what Paul says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we're changed, Paul says, by the renewing of our minds. But how does that happen? Well, he doesn't explain it in this verse. He doesn't tell us the answer of how to have your mind renewed. But if you're thinking carefully and reading closely between the lines perhaps a little bit, and especially as you look at the result of the renewal of your mind that's described at the end of the verse, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. It becomes evident this is an encouragement to devote yourself to the study of God's word. God's word. Because God's word contains God's truth and communicates God's will, it holds unique power to renew our minds When our minds have been renewed, we are then able to test and approve what God's will is. So from my perspective here, Paul is pointing us to the truth of God's word as a vital change agent in our lives. He's suggesting that God's word reveals to us God's heart and God's will so that as we think about it, as we meditate on it, as we learn it, our minds are renewed. And as our minds are renewed and settled on the truth that God's word communicates to us, 
we are able in new ways to test and approve what God's will is. So as we learn and apply the truth revealed to us in God's word, the power of deception and lies is broken. The native language of our enemy, the devil, is overcome and its power is broken from our lives. Our minds are renewed by the truth. <clears throat> Jesus himself famously put it this way in John 8, 31 and 32. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Right? And freedom in this context is freedom from what? Freedom from sin. Freedom from deception. Freedom from the power of the devil. Freedom from selfishness or self-gratification. Freedom from all that is not good and godly comes from the truth. Freedom in Christ is about achieving transformation. In fact, it's another word, I think, freedom in Christ, for Christ-likeness. Jesus was uniquely and supremely free. And for us to be free in Christ like he was takes an understanding, a deeper understanding and application of the truth. Likewise, I think of another reference that's familiar, 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17, where Paul's exhorting Timothy, his uh, mentoree, if you will, to remain in the word. And listen, you know, you, there's one verse here that's particularly familiar to all of you, but I love the context of this. If you uh, look at it a little bit more broadly, Paul says, as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, Paul says, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know that one, right? That's an amazing statement about the power of God's Word to affect change in our lives. Essentially, Paul's explaining that the Word of God equips us for every good work, which means it changes our lives for the better. So that's change agent number one. We could spend a lot more time, of course, talking about how that works and why that works. But just for now, understand that the Word of God is a change agent that God has given you for your own transformation. That brings us to number two. 2 Corinthians 3. Here's how I love the way that these passages segue together. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Right? So what's this one about? Right. Change agent number two is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit at work in your life. This passage is all about the ministry of God's Spirit in the lives of God's people. That's change agent number two. 
Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So freedom comes from truth, and freedom comes from the Holy Spirit. The truth brings freedom, and the Spirit also brings freedom. In fact, what's interesting is that Jesus actually connects those two things together in John 16, where he says, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what's yet to come. So what this means, essentially, is that the Holy Spirit, who is God with us and God in us, is essentially our personal guide into all things good and godly. If we want to grow in obedience, we have to learn the language of the Spirit. We have to be led by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. We have to welcome the guidance and conviction of the Spirit to continually do their work in our lives. This is how our character gets shaped. Our freedom in Christ increases and our obedience and maturity are enhanced. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to come back to that theme over the coming weeks as we approach the day of Pentecost, which of course was the day the Holy Spirit was given to the church. But for now, just understand that's change agent number two. The Word of God is number one. The Spirit of God is number two. And then last but not least, I want to highlight one other change agent. And perhaps compared to the first two, this one might be underestimated in its significance. But it's very important and very powerful. Change agent number three is the people of God. The people of God. Look closely again at what Paul says. It's a little hard to see. In fact, you might be tempted to read right over it here. But this concept is present in both of our our passages, our points of reference this morning from Romans 12 and 2 Corinthians 3. Romans 12, 1, Paul begins his words with this statement. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So he's addressing the church gathered together in Rome. This is the letter to the Romans, to the Roman church specifically. And he's writing not just to individuals, but to the community of faith, to the brothers and sisters in Christ, living and worshiping and working together in Rome. Likewise, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice again, Paul's writing here now to the church in Corinth. And what does he say? 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Who with unveiled faces contemplate the are being transformed into the image, into his image with ever-increasing glory? All of us. And I think the implication is all of us together are being transformed, right? So this is this is a reality. This transformation that we're talking about happens best in community. Not when you're isolated, not when you're alone, not when you're functioning as an individual in personal relationship to Jesus, though that's all important. What Paul's suggesting is that the community of faith has an important role to play in your transformation. This happens best when it happens together in community. So there's an important insight to be gained from from Paul's words. In each case, 
he's writing about transformation to a group of believers who are committed to community together. The whole process of transformation is meant to be viewed as a we experience, not a me experience. He's implying that we grow better together than we do when we're isolated and alone. We grow better and experience the blessing of personal transformation more consistently when we invite our brothers and sisters to speak into our lives. We need each other. We need encouragement. Sometimes we need to be challenged. We need somebody to get in our face and say, what are you doing? Right? We need inspiration. We need, sometimes we just need to know we're not alone. We're not crazy. And in this way, as we grow together, we embody Christ to one another. So whether we're speaking correction or exhortation or simply encouragement, our words to one another and our relationships with one another, our love for one another, help us to be transformed. So whether it's coming, just showing up on Sunday mornings consistently to be here to interact with others and rub shoulders and share lives, or whether it's uh, maybe taking it a, a step deeper and, and connecting with a home group and committing yourself to time, you know, a deeper relationship in that context and the time uh, really spent getting to know one another, um, sharing lives together, praying for one another. Or, or maybe it's even in the context of personal meetings with other believers you know, maybe there's one person that, that's a, a, a dear brother or sister to you that you spend time with consistently. Maybe it's a prayer partner, or maybe it's more of a Paul-Timothy type relationship where you're the mentor mentoring them or, or vice versa. What I'm saying is that in any context, whatever context you can find meaningful relationship and connection with other believers, that is a good and beautiful thing that produces transformation in your life. And so, for example, I can think of several guys right now, I won't name them, but I can think of several guys that I meet with regularly and that I invite to speak into my life and into my ministry because I need it. I need their accountability. I need their encouragement. I need their inspiration. I need their example. And I'm challenged for the better by the time that I spend with them. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's what I'm talking about. So that's change agent number three. It's the church. It's the community of God's people. And what I'm saying to you, friends, is that that God has given you these three gifts, these three change agents, his word, his spirit, and his church to help you change for the better. And all of them are an expression of God's great love for you. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't have given you these things. So maybe there's something in your life that needs to be changed for the better. Maybe you've put your finger on it already. Maybe you've been pondering what that is in response to the question I asked earlier. But maybe, just maybe, you've felt powerless to change it yourself. Maybe you've come face to face with the reality that 
as much as you might like to change this thing about you, you feel stuck. You feel incapable. You are incapable. But God is not. God is not incapable of helping you change for the better. God is not incapable of helping you transform whatever it is about your life that needs to be changed more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's a message of hope. That's a message that that should encourage and inspire every single one of us to draw near to God and to invite him to use these change agents in our lives. I want to close this morning with a video that just sort of captures the idea, the basic idea that you've heard me speak to this morning. It really comes to this. Jesus changes everything. Check it out. God created us to be in a relationship with him. For a moment in time, we walked with God. But soon after creation, we chose to disobey God and sin entered into the picture. Instead of fellowship with God, we became his enemy. Peace turned into chaos. We worshiped the created over the creator. We chose our ways over his. We were lost and without hope. But God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came and took our place. He carried our sins to the cross and paid our penalty. And three days later, he rose again. His victory became ours. His sacrifice became our freedom. His blood washed away our sins. In Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Jesus changed everything. Lord, thank you for this, this message.